Hello, welcome to the podcast listeners. Today we have a special guest on our show, and that is Mary Eden, aka Trad Princess. You may well recognize her Instagram name. She is a pretty well-known crack climber, trad climber from the western side of the USA. She's 29 years old, been climbing just eight years, and is an AMGA apprentice guide. She's also climbed a number of 513 trad routes and at the same time is also studying her bachelor's in business and marketing. What we're going to be doing is talking to Mary really about a very common and normal journey that many climbers have and that's this threshold point where people really get into the idea of starting training and how you kind of flip that switch of actually knowing that you can combine training and performance on rock. So we're really going to talk about Mary's journey of how that happened and then also importantly how she manages that blend of work, studies, outdoor climbing, training, indoors etc because Mary has a pretty busy life. Um, so welcome to the show Mary. Hi thanks for having me Tom. Well right now and many of the listeners might not know this we're actually in the USA sat in a car just outside Moab so we're in the the high lifes of the desert. It's freaking awesome. <laughs> so we've been climbing together a little bit over the last week or so. And um, you and I have been you know, good friends for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And I always end up talking to you about you know, a lot of outdoor climbing. But obviously you trained with us under Coach, uh, Coach Jen uh, for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think you went through a really interesting journey where you predominantly climbed only outside but then started to introduce this blend of outdoors and training. So can you tell us a little bit about what that initial stage was like and what kind of fears or concerns did you have to deal with to get stuck into the training? I never thought I would climb 512 in my lifetime. So it was really interesting um, to focus on trying to climb hard um, for the first time and pushing myself and accepting that, you know, I needed help and that just like climbing a lot wasn't really getting me anywhere, um, that I needed that extra boost and, um, I needed to train and that it was a really efficient way of, uh, going about things that I wanted. So did you reach 512? Did you feel like almost through a natural process of going climbing Lots, yes, you know, mentorship, lots of involvement with rock, etc., rather than training. Yeah, it was a very slow, arduous journey to 512 outside on trad, and it was just slow. It was very much, you know, an on site or die mentality. You didn't really work routes, um, you didn't train, you didn't sport climb, you didn't boulder. It was just like you trad climb, you on site the route, or you don't, you go adventure routing, you just get lots of mileage. and somehow you supposedly get stronger. I really didn't get that strong doing that. I kind of plateaued around 511. Um, and it was really hard to break into the 12 barrier. But when I did, I, through that process of deciding that I was going to climb a 512 and really working it and working it to death, um, I kind of did the first process of projecting and around that time I met you for the first time and was this back in 2018 yeah yeah I think I did my first 512 in 2018 and yeah I met you 
I had very limited body awareness too. No idea how to work out. Um, was just purely, you know, an adventure climber, I would say. And, uh, I remember uh, going down to the white rim to take some photos of what you and Pete were doing and convince my partner at the time that we should start working out and get strong so we can get serious and down to business. And we were up on the rim doing jumping jacks and push-ups. <laughs> and I just remember you just being like, oh, no. <laughs> this person needs some help. Yeah, I, I mean, I do remember being, I suppose in a way, surprised that you'd got to a pretty decent level of climbing and clearly had a good depth of experience but you were so early in the training journey <laughs> and I remember kind of seeing like this light bulb went off in my mind and I was like if I can just convince Mary to put some time into just a little bit of structured training it doesn't need to be loads <laughs> but a bit I feel like she can really go forward with her climbing yeah it really, um, it really made a difference, and I, I think I met you at the exact right time I needed to, um, which was good. So, you... so what were the things that, for you, uh, you had to kind of like get over and sort in your head of, you know, what training involved and what were the changes that were going to occur and what were you going to, what are you getting stuck into basically? I had to prioritize. Um, training over just going outside all the time um and get over this mindset of like I had to be inspired to do something um that no I just need to put my head down and go to work and put in the time so I could do the routes that I did find inspiring and not just a route routes you know like I wanted to climb all the hard things <laughs> um, not just one of the hard things and also my movement was horrible I would say I really did not understand how to um, climb as efficiently as when I got assessed my coach was like um you could drop a knee and I was like what what's that <laughs> I've been climbing for years so many roads and I bouldering too and I just like didn't have that movement awareness and so I would say like training really taught me how to move uh, more efficiently um, and better and also, it, it just, you learn what your body is actually capable of. And you also learn the process of, like, how to try hard on your the routes that you want to do. I don't know. It's great. I think more people should do it and stop being so crusty mm. and stubborn and lazy. And did you find that, um, you know, even the basic introduction of logical, structured bouldering... Yes. into your climbing was quite a big difference for you as a oh, trad yeah. climber oh yeah yeah um if i could yeah i tell trad climbers all the time that only crack climb or only trad climb or only adventure climb i i say yeah you should go sport climbing you should go sport climbing all the time and it's like minimum in my mind if you're not going to train you should at least go sport climbing so you can learn to move more dynamically because mm. I, I don't know desert climbing makes you feel you climb pretty square square on um, I find that I'm climbing the best um, while I'm training and sport climbing. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good for you. <laughs> and, and how was the early... Because uh, I think I remember being at your house and installing a fingerboard. Yes. Like on a sort of very basic frame. What was the 
the kind of early experience with fingerboarding like? Because if I remember, you'd never, never ever done any fingerboarding. It was like never. brand new to you. So what was that yeah. journey like? Well, I'd never been in a climbing gym really. Like I lived in Moab for almost ten years, and um, there is no climbing gym there. I didn't go to a, a workout gym growing up. Like there's no gym stuff. Like I was just an outside player, I would say. And and so to all of a sudden try to like work out in a structured manner was really weird to me. Um, so it, at first, um, I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it. Um, but then I actually started to really like my fingerboard and I liked my, my fingerboard. And I remember I realized how much I liked it when I went to Sicily and I called back home and I was like, I was like, oh man, I miss my fingerboard. I'm out here and I don't, like I, you know, it's funny. You don't like it at first and you, you, you hate it. And it's just, it feels tedious, but then you just get in this rhythm and your fingers feel strong and. I don't know. It's good. And you feel the benefits too of, of training. I find it hard training and being on the road at the same time though. I, f- yeah. I find that just too hard. It's hard I, to I like... think it's a very hard mix yeah. for most people. How, how, how do you, how have you kind of come to peace with that? How do you deal with that nowadays? Um, I'm still, I feel like I'm still finding the balance of it. Um, I can't try hard with projecting and live on the road and train and work and keep up with school I can't do it all um so I cut out certain things um so yeah when I'm on the road doing climbing trips I'm not training which I I've noticed that I get weaker at the end of a climbing climbing um, trip it's kind of unfortunate I'm very weak right now (laughs) I can feel it in my fingers I'm like ooh, and I'm really looking forward to going home and um and getting back in a rhythm and coming into the spring season strong. Mm. I think that's like really nice. I think one of the things that really, I don't know, sort of put you on the map and really impressed me for what you achieved with your climbing was that season that you had in 2020 and 2021 in Vidavu and that, that kind of run of off with boulders and trad routes that to my mind was one of the best ever sort of consecutive runs of hard climbing done in that style really ever amongst you know men or women and it was it really stood out as being very condensed in a short period of time so I guess I think it would be really interesting to share with the listeners where did you feel like that that next level for you came from and where did you where did you see the various benefits from? So can we break it down into a, a physical thing, a technical thing, and a mental thing? Because I think all three of those parts are super important. So I'd love to hear what did you do to get yourself in that great physical shape? Like what were the things that made a difference for you? Mm-hmm. What made a difference for you technically? What made a difference for you psychologically? Um, physically, obviously, I finished a training block uh, before going out to the VU. Um, it was my first actually real VU trip because I'd gotten a stolen three days the year before. And before that, four years before I got two days. So really I didn't know that area at all. Didn't know the climbing. Um, 
so I was pretty fresh and you just hear all these rumors about how the VU is like the hardest off with climbing some of the hardest trad climbing you know and it's just kind of like really built up as this intimidating place and so I made sure that I had finished a training block before embarking on a I think it was like a six-day stint and I just was feeling really like conditioned I honestly felt like I had the most stupid amount of energy <laughs> like my first day in the VU my warm-up was the whipping boy and I onsided it and I like that's a 5'11 plus and I wasn't tired from it and then I was really psyched and I knew I only had six days and I was feeling conditioned from a training block and so I was like fuck yeah um let's go do another route and then so my friend KSUK kind of wanted to sandbag me and he was like oh let's go do back guano crack and so we ran over there and I fucking onsided that too and that's another hard test piece route and I came down, I still had energy, you know? And usually by this point, people in the VU are like dead in the water. But I, I was really kind of, it felt like I was on one because I, <laughs> I was like, let's go bouldering. <laughs> I couldn't get enough. <laughs> um, and I was like, let's go bouldering. I've never been to Life Without Parole and uh, the Warden. And I sent the, war I sent the Warden first try and uh, topped out because, you know, you didn't finish a boulder problem unless you top out, guys, by the way. <laughs> and I was psyched. And I, I, like, still had energy. And I was like, you know, my friend Fife, he always said that you didn't really send a boulder problem unless you could do it twice in a row. And so I was like, still, I felt like I still had more energy. So I was like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm going to do this one for Fife again. And then I came down and I did it again. And then people were kind of tired of me and I was like, well, let's just cool down on life without parole. And I sent that that day too. Um, I fell off of it the first two goes because I just didn't understand the body geometry, but then got it. And I just had this like stupid day in the VU. And the next day I woke up and I wasn't wrecked. I felt actually pretty good. And we went rock climbing <laughs> and, and I just kind of like didn't, and K2K, we shared a campsite with him, and he he was like, <laughs> he looked at me. He said, "You will burn out, you will burn out, and you will crash, and you will burn, and you will be tired." And I was just like, "I feel pretty good, like <laughs> I don't feel like I'm wrecked yet." Um, and that's what I felt like the training did for me. Like my power endurance was way higher, my endurance overall was way higher. And I just felt like I could just keep going and keep pushing. And that's why I say like I'm weak right now because I don't have that endurance. And it's just like, I know what that felt like. And I was really annoying. <laughs> and I haven't annoyed anybody <laughs> in a minute. So I'm, I know I wanna go home and get back to training. I'm really looking forward to it. But I would say that's what it did for me on the physical side. The mental side too was just this knowledge that like I could stay in longer and I didn't have to like climb very quickly that I, I just had the endurance to stay in and so I could just like sort myself out um, which you know like led to me not feeling panicked um, and just really kind of good mentally.
And I've always, and I always feel happier in wide stuff anyway. Mm. Yeah. It's like, I don't think it's as scary as it sounds. So and good. did you build up a big kind of technical base of that style of climbing before you'd gone on that trip as well? Because I always think it's a, a definite difficult point for a lot of climbers around the world where they might do, you know, a really good training block. They feel great condition. They feel in peak shape and then they go on a trip and it just doesn't quite come together. And sometimes some of the element can be that technical base that they've gone on a trip, let's say in, you know, some really steep tufa dipping, dripping, mm -hmm. you know, limestone sport cave. And then you look at the climbing they've done for the, the six months beforehand and it included almost none of that. It was just indoor climbing, for example. Yeah. So what did your, you know, your months before that look like in terms of the technical base? Honestly, the months before that, I was going sport climbing a lot. Are you kidding? I did I'm, not expect that answer. Really? No. Yeah, no. I had a really good season because I was going sport climbing a lot. Interesting. Sport climbing is just really good for me personally. I, I become a much better climber when I'm sport climbing consistently. I'm very dynamic and um, yeah, I'm just less cautious. Uh, I, I like overprotect when I don't go sport climbing often I'll like place too much gear and so when I had that in my diet um I can't and I was training I felt really good and uh yeah I wasn't crack climbing nearly as much as you would think before that trip um it was really fun <laughs> and but I did have a background and off with you know I'd done some 511s um done a couple 512s uh, mostly I would say the best thing for the technical bit of that season was developing the Cane Creek Invert Offwood Circuit with my friends the year before, like 2017, 2018 time. This was like a local bol yeah. bouldering yeah. crack circuit basically. Yeah, we basically yeah. decided we sucked it off with and we were going to learn, you know, and, and we did. And we had so much fun like learning it and searching out new boulders and I think we ended up putting a circuit together of like 17 problems that was really educational um and then learning how to lead off with sufficiently and I you know got on hard 510s hard 511s and just kind of yeah just got the techie side down mm. um and so I kind of had the background for that season and then training and sport climbing at the same time. So the knowledge, the willing to go for it, and the fitness led to kind of like the perfect recipe, honestly. Yeah. And do you feel now that you've, you know, done that across two particular trips where you had such good performance that it now, in your mind, feels like a repeatable thing? Like you've got oh, a, yeah. a, like a formula for success, basically. Yeah, I know exactly what I need to do in order to um, be where I want to be. Um, and it's just... And it's almost disappointing when I let myself fall off the wagon. <laughs> and I, I kind of don't get too hurt about it because I'm like, oh, well, I did it to myself. I didn't do what I needed to do. And um, so, yeah, if I don't combine, like, the mental, the mental training with the physical training, then I can only blame myself for a lack of performance. Mm. Yeah. I, I often find that it's, um, it's one of these things that's like a... A threshold that you basically step over in your climbing career where you get just the perfect trip or performance or season or whatever it is just once and it's like a door opens yeah 
and then if people can be uh, what would be the, what would be the word I'd use um, uh, really good at reflecting on what elements went into that yeah. great time whether it was one week or two months then they can see the recipe yeah and what goes into it and it very definitely is a repeatable thing and it's also repeatable in a number of different styles like I've seen people do it from you know like you having an amazing off whipping season for example mm -hmm. and then you take that same recipe and in two years time you want to have a great sport climbing season you can just use the same thing and it's just about transferring skills across yeah you can't do it in three months for example because it takes time to kind of make the transfer but it's very repeatable and you can kind of keep moving that up in your climbing career and we've seen that in the US with many climbers who've in 2010 were a certain style and type of climber you see them in 2020 and they're really different I mean it's 2021 right now I climbed my first 12 minus in 2018 May and I think I've done over 10 513s now um, finger cracks and off with combined and uh, like I can boulder like v5 v6 slab pretty consistently so it's there in that short period of time I've grown a lot as a climber because I think I finally learned what tools work the best for me and I'm still refining it but um, yeah training structure training is super important to me um, learning how to move my body, learning how to be dynamic, the mental training of it all, just, it all goes together. And I think that is why I've had, um, the improvements I've had. And I know that those two seasons in the VU, like this second season, after spending four weeks, I was sad at the end of it because I realized I had ran out of hard test pieces off widths in the VU. I'm done. And it was kind of sad, but at the same time, I'm like, all right, well, that chapter's kind of over. I only have four more offwits in the world that I really am psyched on. I want to get better at tips, and I want to be just as good at tips as I am that. And it'll, I know how to get there. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now as I'm building up my base of, like, 12 pluses, 13s, and, and then, like, I want to get up to, like, 13 plus of that. And uh, I know I can do it, and I'm thinking, like, I think it'll take me, you know, realistically two years to get to where I would like to be with it. Like, as instinctive as I am with off it, that's where I want to get with tips and fingers. So, it's like, I've went through that with off with, I know what to do, I'm going to do the same with that. And what do you think for you counts or matters in finger crack climbing? Because I think a lot of people listening will often, you know go okay it's off with thing that doesn't really apply to me that much mm. uh, most people you know avoid that climbing style let's be honest about this so, some are into it but less are but there's loads of good crack pitches on climbs around the world multi-pitch things where you either actually want to do them or you can't avoid them they're a bit more of a common style so yeah i'd be interested to hear what in your opinion actually matters with that climbing style in particular I would say comfort in your shit sizes, uh, like a mileage in your shit sizes. and So you're talking about here about stuff that doesn't fit your particular yeah. finger size. Yeah, so uh, not avoiding, not avoiding. Like for me, the worst size ever is 0.5s. It's just the worst. I'm ring locking, my toes aren't going in. It feels so absolutely desperate. 
And so I've spent the last, and in the past I got to where I felt really comfortable on them up to like the 11 plus uh, grade, but then I kind of stopped <laughs> and moved on to another size. And now I'm kind of going back and I'm like, okay, well, I pushed the other sizes, you know, away above that, but I've still avoided that size. <laughs> uh, and so I've kind of spent since the spring working on that size, like my, my, um, more intense, like short-term projects were mostly 0.5s and, uh, it's taught me a lot, <laughs> but I still have a lot more to learn. And I, I just want to get to the point where the, that size feels pretty good. I'd made the same decision with fours. You know, I was like, I suck at fours. Fours are butterflies and calf locks. And so I just decided to just do a shit ton of blue collar that size and now fours feel fine and I like them actually and I want to get to that point with point five so yeah so don't avoid your shit sizes footwork I think is super important <laughs> like shoe choice shoe choice yeah shoe choice footwork learning how to tape efficiently and, and then just um a lot of forearm strength honestly like forearm strength and a lot of finger cracks are really fun because they're kind of sporty and so I think it's important to go sport climbing like there's like little boulder problems and really fun hard finger cracks that just I don't know I think it makes those routes more interesting than regular crack climbs you know like it's just fun and when you say shoe choice yeah. I think that probably needs a little bit of expanding on for, for <laughs> some of the listeners. Um, and I think this is an important one because I suspect a lot of people listening might go, oh, Mary's just talking about downturn versus flat, for example. Oh. You know, like, yeah. what are we specifically talking about? Because, and I, and I want to kind of drum home this point or ram it home, because I actually think shoe choice on crack climb can sometimes make like a two oh, to three grade so difference. Big of a difference. So what are we talking about here? So, I mean, every time I walk up to a crag, I usually, and I, I usually bring two or three pairs of shoes up and they're all different. I like to bring up my katanas, my, uh, soft slippers and a pair of high tops. Um, I like the stiffer shoe like the katana for finger cracks that have a lot of footholds on the side or really sporty movement or are kind of bouldery. Um, I like my soft slipper that has like a thin toe box so I can get it as much as possible into the crack. You know, that comes in handy with the 0.5 splitters or the 7.5 splitters, those purple black diamond and, and green black diamond splitters. Those are really nice for that, especially if I'm ran smearing a lot which is like taking the outside of the pinky toe of the shoe and placing it and just smearing it on the, the crack itself. Um, so I like the softer slipper if I'm trying to get it in and the stiffer shoe for if there's any footholds on the outside. Um, sometimes I will combine the two shoes. So um, if the crack kind of trends to um, the, the, the right, I will a lot of times have a left soft shoe and a stiff right shoe, like kind of sport climbing the right side and jamming the left side. Um, yeah, like I did that in Nathan Martin recently. I had a stiff right shoe and a soft left shoe. Okay. And, yeah. And 
and as I was top roping No Way Jose, <laughs> I did the same thing. Oh, you did, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And with the um, the feet as well, which is and comes back to another kind of conditioning element for this particular style of climbing. I think it's also important for crack people who want to do some kind of level of uh, crack climbing, whether it's an Indian Creek trip or they're going to do some multi-pitch big walling, for example, or um, something you know on the granite in in Europe. Um, is that also they work on the ankle mobility? Oh, and stability. Yeah, because there's a. It, it's very different from normal climbing when you go indoor training or you climb on face routes. It's just mm-hmm. a completely different way of functioning and loading your ankle joint. And I think this is another important underestimated element of the preparation for trips. For um, just as an example, nobody can see this, but like I can turn my ankle to the side and just stand on one foot on the side of my foot like like it almost looks like my foot is sprained but I can stand and stand like that for a while I'm exactly the same and it doesn't hurt mm-hmm. and uh, it feels really solid actually um, so you know I feel like being able to twist your foot sideways aggressively and stand on it is kind of an essential skill with crack climbing you want that mobility but you also want the stability so it's not going to just like sprain when you do that you want your you want to have strong ankles yeah yeah you can you can strengthen them there's there are exercises for it and i also think strong calves honestly for finger crack climbing like your calves mine gets so toasted with a lot of insecure smearing and rad smearing and jamming it's just like oh my calves <laughs> yeah I always say a good finger crack climber makes uh, the people at the base think that there's feet. Mm. <laughs> They're like, you got feet in that. And you're like, no, I'm smearing the shit out of it. <laughs> and how, how do you manage to, what's your, the way that you manage to, because I, you know, I, I know you pretty well and I see the various things that you juggle. You have, you know, you know, you're involved with, your full-time education with your business and marketing degree. Um, you did a load of freelance work. You're a photographer. You're a climber. You do so many different things. Mm. What's your My method? My actual job too. Your actual job <laughs> as well. Like you do. You do a lot. So uh, chaos and mystery and everything. <laughs> um, What's the method? My boyfriend is neglected. <laughs> Oh uh, no, I, I don't know. I'm I'm ADHD, so I've I multitask pretty well. Um, oof, I have a little black book of dates of things that you know I need to get done by a certain date. And at school, I I decided to go back to school a year ago. Um, I wanted to do that for myself, and and uh, I think it's easier to do school as an adult, honestly. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I take it online, which allows me to be mobile and do it from anywhere. And what I usually do is I do it in blocks. Um, I'll front load a bunch of work, like schoolwork. If I know that, for example, my friend Tom is coming in and I know I'm going to be shooting him a lot. Um, so I buckled down for five days and got ahead in my schoolwork for three weeks. 
and so I'll I'll do shit like that. And then my job uh, is remote, so I'll, I'll work from the road, mm. and then able to to shoot and climb and do stuff. Um, the summertime right now is kind of when I would I like to try to climb hard because um, I'm choosing not to take summer classes, so I can actually like do that. Yeah being home is nice because there's a rhythm to it and I'm not out on the road, you know, so there's just, it's easier to train. I don't know, Tom, chaos. <laughs> it's chaos. If I forget to text somebody back or send a message or completely do something, you're like, like I left my hat outside. I'm way more spacey than I ever have been. <laughs> yeah, it's not perfect. I, I think it rarely is perfect for <laughs> for anyone, um, yeah. and it's 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 in many ways it's good to hear that because from the outside a lot of people can see things that people do or involved with or how successful they are with the climbing, and it looks so coordinated and so structured. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's really actually reassuring to <laughs> hear someone go, "No, it's kind of hard, and it's I hard. juggle stuff all over the place." And it's not always perfect. In fact, most of the time it isn't perfect. Sometimes I drop you, balls when I'm But you I'm still struggling. make stuff happen. Yeah. Yeah, I, it doesn't make it happen. And you prioritize things that you really have to prioritize. Um, like work comes first. School comes... Like I say work and school come first. Everything else is secondary. And um, like, and I also am... I try to be kind to myself during you know these, these times. And I'm like... Yeah, my goal is these, you know, higher grades and I, like, I want to climb 514 in my lifetime and I want to make that happen, but I'm not going to sit and, like, beat myself over the head with a rock because, like, right now I feel like, um, I have too much going on, so maybe projecting something that would take a lot of mental work for me, or maybe it's maybe too scary or just too hard maybe right now is not the time to choose that project because I probably would burn out. So I, I'm choosing like more mini projects that aren't dangerous so they're not taking too much from me mentally, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in the summertime when I don't have to do education as well, like that's when I would want something that's a bit more involved. Um, but also just giving that space. Just like, just not... Like, just knowing where you're at and, like, what you have going on and and being more realistic with your short-term goals so you can build logically up to your long-term goals. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It totally does. <laughs> yeah. Because I just... I, I, I don't know. I, I teach a lot of people rock climbing and I just see them, like, beat themselves over the head for not being able to do everything all at once perfectly. And it's just like, no. It's not the time right now okay and what what like what lies ahead for you over the next six months what, oh i'm gonna go home project projects <laughs> and i've been on life the, i've been on the road since april 24 <laughs> which is kind of fucked up yeah <laughs> so I, i'm gonna go home and uh start a new training block and kind of um relax a little bit it's easier to recover um, take care of some some minor injuries that have stacked up and uh, train and 
uh, just focus on life and uh, hopefully come into the spring season feeling strong, you know, and fresh. Finger cracks? Yeah. Or sport climbing? Both. Both. I don't sport climb because I like it. I do it because I have to. I'm a shit sport climber. <laughs> but you know the benefits of the I know climbing. the benefits. Yeah. I do it. I take my medicine. Yeah. You know, I do it. I do it because I have to. Not because I like it. It's just good for me. And I whine about it all the time. <laughs> but it just, it just helps my climbing so much. It just does. And I can tell when I've not, when I've avoided it too, too long because I, I'm, I just am like, yeah, very static. I need to be dynamic. I'm a small person. I have to jump for things. Yeah. yeah. Ate that. <laughs> I get grumpy about it. I think that's why I like crack climbing is because it's not height dependent. Mm. You know, it's, it's equal. It's just more moves. Just get stronger. Yeah. And if I don't text you back, it's not personal. <laughs> well, with that, <laughs> I think that takes us to the end, Mary. That's, I think it that's, does. That's the, that's the message to everyone out there. If you don't text back, it's not don't personal. Text, yeah. <laughs> it's not personal. Well, it's been lovely chatting to you about this, and um, thanks for taking a, a break from the, the car journey that we're currently on to record this. Um, I know we're due um, somewhere to stay tonight, and um, for anyone listening, you can find Mary on Instagram under Trad Princess. And uh, you also have a YouTube channel, am I right in saying? Yeah, Trad Princess or Big Beauty Pitches. Yep. Anywhere else they can find you? Or is that the main locations? Yeah, TikTok, I'm also Trad Princess. It's pretty across the board. Yep, consistent. Consistent. Look her up. It's Mary. <laughs> She's great. We love her. And thanks very much for listening. Once again, I hope you're having a good car journey or relaxing sit down on a sofa wherever you're listening right now and as ever uh, we appreciate all of you guys out there and you as a community to everything that we're building at Lattice and we shall uh, be back online again very soon.